listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to gather with you today. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just looking forward to diving into God's word with you this morning. But as we prepare to do that, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we, we come before you this morning and we pray that you'd help us as we open up your word now, as we look at what you have to say to us, God, I pray that you would help us to be in awe of you. May, may you be exalted now in this moment and in our life. May our awe of you today lead us to be in awe of you as we leave this place and go about our week and interact with different people. God, I pray that the name of Christ would be exalted, that you would be high and lifted up, oh holy God. And I pray that you'd use your word now to help us to fix our gaze on you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in us and through us. I pray that you'd give us attentiveness this morning. I pray you'd give us focus today. And God, that we would hear what you want to say to us. So thank you for this time, God. Thank you for the blessing that it is to gather together as your people under your word. And the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Do you ever find yourself uh, sometimes forgetting just basic things in life? Like, not forgetting where you put your car keys or where you put your phone. I mean, like sometimes I can forget to eat lunch or drink water throughout the day. And all of a sudden, I'm in the, in the middle of something, and it usually happens when I'm, I'm overwhelmed with something, I have a lot going on, or I'm really focusing on something, and all of a sudden I look up, and it's 2 o'clock, and I realize all I've had so far today is coffee and apple cider vinegar. Yeah, I know, right? Or, I mean, sometimes I forget, I've just realized this over the last few years, I, I can forget how old I am sometimes. Like if somebody says, well, hey, so how old are you? And I'm, I have to sometimes do the math. Like, what year is it? Okay, yeah, that's how old I am. And I think that's because I'm in my 30s. Like there's not really many milestones in your 30s. You just kind of keep going through life. And for me, the 30s have been a blur. So it's sometimes difficult to remember how old I am. Now, why does that happen? Why do we sometimes forget just the basic things of our life? Why do we forget those basic elements of, of who we are, things that are going on? Maybe it's because the things are so familiar to us. Or maybe it's because the things, those basic things we forget have become peripheral in our life. Or they're just not primary. They're just not right in front of us every day. It doesn't really affect my day-to-day -day life to know how old I am. I just continue to go about doing things. Well, today is our, our fifth Sunday in our Discipling Sermon Series where we've been talking about what it means to 
Know Christ and follow Christ. What it means to be a disciple who goes and makes disciples. And, and being a disciple is about seeing your life conformed more and more to the image of Jesus, that your life and my life would look more and more like Christ, that we'd have the mind of Christ, that we'd live like Christ, that we'd honor God in everything we think, say, and do. So how are we doing that in our own lives, individually and as a community? And to help us know how to do that, we've spent time preaching on the means of grace that God has given us to grow as disciples and to help others to follow Jesus as well. And we've been using this graphic here with these circles to kind of show us the different elements of this. And we've spent the last few weeks preaching on these three outer rings of gathering with the church, being in community through community groups, and meaningful relationships with one to three people. And so today, we're going to be preaching on and talking about our own communion with God. Now, what does it mean to commune with something? To commune with something or someone is about a deep relationship that involves unity and oneness and nearness. There's an intimacy that's involved in communion, and communion also involves communication. There's actually interacting with the other person. So when we talk about our communion with God, what we're talking about is having a, a deep personal relationship with the living God. That as we draw near to God, we recognize that there's unity and oneness with him, intimacy and nearness with the God. And like any relationship where there's communion, it necessitates communication. But I think the challenge for all of us, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or maybe you're just beginning to follow Jesus, is that when it comes to our communion with God, we can be tempted sometimes to either assume our communion with God Because we've placed our faith in Jesus, well, then we just have communion with God. It's just present. Or we can be prone to forget its significance in our life. We're prone to forget its significance as we wade through life. And there's the the myriad of other things that are constantly clamoring for your time and your attention. But here's the deal. This middle circle within that image, this middle circle is absolutely essential to your discipling, to your following Jesus. It's the core, the backbone, the foundation of following Christ. It doesn't make you follow Christ, but it's essential for your following of Christ. And it impacts every other aspect of this circles of being disciples who make disciples. So if we can press into the middle of this and not assume it and not forget it, seeing it as the gift that it is, the importance that it is of our own communion with God, I believe that God will do a work in your life to draw you closer and closer to him, that he'll do a work in your life to transform you to be more and more like Christ and to be able to help people around you do the same thing. So whether you feel like this is a strong area of your life right now, or maybe you're struggling in this area of your life right now and communing with God, maybe you've never even thought about a need to commune with God. I want us to come to God's word this morning expectant that God wants to show you something about himself and to draw you into relationship with him, to lead us to do that together as we dive into his word. So let's open up to Psalm 1 this morning and may God help us to be disciples who make disciples. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. It's a, it's a psalm and a song about how to live life in the midst of the world we find ourselves in. And it's not just to live any kind of life, but the good life, the life that God has called us to live for our joy and for his glory. And we see that right away at the beginning of this psalm. He says, blessed is the man, or blessed is the woman, or blessed is the person. To be blessed is to be happy. It can be translated to be happy. But this isn't the worldly understanding of happiness. 
The worldly understanding of happiness, when we think about how our culture thinks about happiness, is it's most of the time circumstantial. If things are going well in your life, then you can be happy. If they're not going particularly well, then we are unhappy in the midst of our life. But what we see when it looks at Scripture, what God intends to communicate to us in that, the biblical idea of blessedness, the biblical idea of happiness is a soul level, deep, abiding happiness and contentment that's present in your life, that's possible in your life, regardless of your circumstances. Whether things are going well or not going well, that you can be blessed, you can be happy. And so to show us the path to being blessed, the the author of this psalm gives us a comparison of two ways to live. And he lays out this brief picture of a comparison between communion with the world versus communion with God. Communion with the world versus communion with God. He says, Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who, and he sets up the negative here first, talking about communion with the world, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now we talk about all these different areas here, taking counsel from the wicked, that you're not seeking advice and wisdom from those that are seeking to follow themselves in the ways of the world as opposed to God, that you're not standing in the way of sinners, that you're not on that pathway of walking in rebellion against God, that you're not sitting in the seat of scoffers. That's what scoffers do. They sit back and they just throw darts and throw grenades and throw lobs at something to to tear it down, to tear it apart. You're not sitting back just scoffing and mocking who God is. And this isn't supposed to be looked at as some kind of progression. What the author is doing here is painting a holistic picture of what someone does if they are communing with the world. If their life and lifestyle is rooted in communing with the world rather than God. And he isn't saying to us also that you're, well, you're not supposed to be around people like this. We're always going to be around people who are wicked and who are walking in rebellion against God, who are scoffers and mockers. He isn't saying to you, remove yourself from that. He's saying that that's not the primary place of influence for you if you're seeking to follow Christ. It's not the primary place of relationship for you. You aren't seeking wisdom for how to live from a world that's set against God. Simply put, the person who communes with the world is not a blessed person, not a happy person. No, the the blessed person is the person who communes with God. And we see him lay that out for us in verse 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. I think we can sometimes read this verse and we can think, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. I just need to read my Bible more. That's what I need to do. I just need to read my Bible more. I mean, I can do that sometimes. I can read this and think, okay, I just got to open it up. That's what I have to do. But listen, when we slow down, we see that what he's laying out here is, is much more than simply reading the scriptures. It includes that, but it's much more than that. He says the blessed person isn't the person who just opens up the scriptures, but the one who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. Now, the law of the Lord is is God's covenant instruction to us. It's his word, him telling us about himself. And it isn't just a bunch of rules and boxes to check. We don't come to God's word just to say, what do I need to do? No, we come to God's word and we see that God reveals his very character and nature to us through his word. It's the way of the king. 
And the way of the king is always for your joy. It's always for your good and ultimately for God's glory. And so God's instruction tells us who God is. God's instruction tells us who we are in light of who God is. That if you want to understand more of who you are, and man, we are on a kick right now in our culture for self-awareness. There's, there's books, the bookstores are filled with more and more books saying, hey, you need to learn more about yourself. And that's okay to a point, but you can't really understand who you are if you don't understand who God is. He's the creator, you're the creature. So knowledge of self increases as you increase in your knowledge of God. God's instruction tells us about that. And this is God speaking to us. Like if you want to hear a word from the Lord, it's in these pages of this book. I mean, that's crazy to think about. That the God of all creation, who called creation into existence by speaking, when there was darkness said, let there be light, and there was light. Who called about the mountains and the oceans and the seas and the streams and trees and plants and animals and you who spoke those words has given us himself in his word. He's revealed himself to us through his word. If we want to know who God is, if we want to know what he's saying to us, we find it in his revealed word to us. I mean, that's crazy to think about. I mean, we get excited when someone likes or comments on our Instagram posts and Facebook posts. We get excited when we get a text message from somebody we care about. How much more excited should we get that God has spoken to us in his word? He's he's communicating to you. He hasn't left you by yourself to figure this out on your own. He has revealed himself to you through his word. And that's why the happy man, that's why the blessed woman delights in God's word and meditates on God's word day and night. To delight in something is to to cherish it and to, to relish in it to take pleasure in something. To meditate on it is to immerse yourself in and think deeply about. He says we delight in God's word, we meditate on God's word, and we do so day and night. We communi- he's communicating to us this idea of continually doing this. It's a regular part of your life, a regular rhythm within your life. Just like we read last week in 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray without ceasing. It's a constant and continual process of pursuing God in the midst of the regular parts of your life. What the author is doing here, just in verse 2, is laying out a picture of communion with God for us. Remember, communion with God is, is about having a close, deep, personal relationship with the living God. It's cultivated in oneness, and it cultivates unity and nearness with God, and it necessitates communication. So we have to see here that the blessed person doesn't come to God's word for the sake of academics. The blessed person doesn't come to God's word thinking, well, that's what good Christians do. They read their Bibles. The the blessed person doesn't come to God's word just for the sake of knowledge so that you might have more stuff between your ears so you can just know things about God. No, the blessed person comes to hear from God. He or she comes to set your gaze on the beauty of your King and your Savior and your Lord. We come to the word of God to get God. We delight in God's word so that we might delight in God. Is that how you view time in the scriptures? Do do you open up the scriptures and you listen to them and think, I'm not just coming to check a box off. I'm not just coming to read words on a page. I'm coming to see God. I'm coming to experience God. I'm coming to delight in my God. So we have to understand that communing with God Versus communing with the world is a matter of life and death for you. 
Because you and I live in a world that is constantly preaching to you and constantly communicating a, an alternative gospel, an alternative message of good news, saying, no, 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 here's where hope is found. It's found over here doing these things. Here's where life is found. It's found in having this kind of job or this kind of relationship or looking this kind of way or having this kind of home. Here's where joy and freedom are found. It's by pursuing whatever it is that feels good to you. But all of that false narrative is built on a lie that you are independent and that you are fine on your own, that you can be the king of your own life, that you can be the Lord of your own life. But see, what happens when you commune with God through his word, when you open up the pages of scripture to get God, to hear from him, what happens is your life and your heart and your mind are exposed before God. That God's word is living and active and it divides you in half. It exposes you before him, not to put you on blast. It, it exposes you before him so that your heart and your life and your mind might be realigned and reoriented towards God and his good ways for your good and for your joy and for his glory. You're refreshed in those moments to see his goodness and grace of who he is, the life of worship he's called you to. When you think about your own life right now, who or what is shaping you most significantly? Who or what is influencing the way that you think and the way that you live most consistently? Is it the world or is it the Word of God? In a loud world with constant conflicting chatter, we need to hear God speak to us. We need to hear God speak to us. You know what? God is ready and God is willing and he has revealed himself to us. In James chapter 4, the book of James is a, a great book just about how we live life with Jesus. But in James chapter 4, verse 8, the beginning of that verse says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now you could read this and think, well, that sounds like God is standoffish. Like God's over in a corner, his arms crossed, kind of pouty. Like, well, I'll draw near to you if you draw near to me. Like we're acting like elementary school kids or something like that. We're, we're, we're not sure how we're going to relate to one another. That's not what he's communicating when he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What he's saying is God's ready. God's present. God's ready to draw near to you. He just need to draw near to him. He, he wants to speak to you. He wants to communicate to you. He wants to bring you into relationship with him. And so we don't have to think he's standoffish. We just have to acknowledge that he's already present. And if we pursue relationship with him and in and through his word and prayer, that we will be closer to him. And as we do that, our faith will be fueled by the faithfulness of God as we see him for who he is. And we find that in the pages of scripture. I've said this before, but it's important for us to remember this, that the Bible, it isn't about you. The Bible is not about you, but it is for you. It's for you because it reveals who God is it shows you the good life that he's called you to in and through Christ. See, we need God to remind us of who he is because we so easily forget. We need God to remind us of who we are without Christ when Jesus is not Lord of our life. And we need God to remind us of who we are in Christ and Christ in us. So we're united with him. We need our hearts and our minds realigned. We need to be with God in his presence. You know what happens when we delight in the word of God? And we open up the words of Scripture and we read them and we come to them looking to delight in Him, to hear from Him, to experience Him, we can't help but respond. And that's what prayer is. 
Prayer is responding to God as He's revealed Himself in and through His Word. His living and active Word, His kind instruction, it leads me to my God. My God who I can talk with and I can be with and I can ask things of. My God who I can come before and ask Him to help me believe what He says in His Word, to help see the things that He communicates to me that are for my good and for my joy, to see those things actually take root in my life and in my heart and in the world around me to help me to believe, to help me to faithfully follow him. Now to drive his point home, the author of Psalm 1 gives us a a wonderful illustration, and it's an illustration of outcomes. An illustration of outcomes between communing with the world versus communing with God. He says in verse 3, look at it again, he says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. What he's doing here is he's painting this picture for saying, listen, the guy, the girl who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on God's word day and night is like this tree. A tree that is planted by and rooted near flowing water. A body of water. A life-giving stream. And we have to remember that the original audience that would have received this psalm, that would have sung this regularly, lived in an arid place. A dry, desert-like place. There weren't trees all over the place. If there were trees, they were near bodies of water. So it's easy to think like, oh, whenever I see a tree, I see it near a lake. I see it near a stream. Because that's its only life source. In order for it to flourish, to develop, to grow. So what the psalmist is saying to us is like this tree, when you immerse yourself in the presence of God through His Word, it's nourishment to your soul. It's life for your soul. And because of that, you're able to bear out fruit. To evidence that you're following Christ. You're able to not wither no matter what circumstances might be going on around you. You're able to prosper, not in a material way, but to thrive as a follower of Jesus. And what's the result of the person who communes with the world? He tells us in verse 4, The wicked are not so. They're not like the tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, that prospers, that doesn't wither. No, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is kind of the the leftover parts of grain after it's been winnowed and cut. It's just kind of the, the kernels, the skin of that, and it's light and it's airy and it gets easily blown away. It's thrown into the wind. And so what he's saying here is the person who communes with the world is unrooted, and tossed to and fro, discarded and disconnected. Simply put, from this picture, we see that the person who communes with God thrives. The person who doesn't dries up and is blown all around. But it's even more serious than that. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He's giving a conclusion kind of statement here to the outcome of communing with the world versus communing with the God. Now, why is this the case? Why does he say that the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous? Well, because if we commune with the world, if we follow the things of the world, we're going to continue to walk the path of rebellion. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 that there's a wide road that many are on and it leads to destruction. If we're walking the way of sinners, taking counsel from the wicked, sitting in the seat of scoffers, communing with the world, we're going to be led further and further into rebellion and away from God. 
But when we commune with God, when we come before Him, when we want to hear from Him and submit ourselves to Him by coming to His Word, then we evidence the fact that we're desperate for His Lordship in our life. We evidence the fact and display the fact that we are desperate for His grace in our life. God knows the way of the righteous. He, he knows it. He's in it. He's familiar with it because it's His way. It's the way of the King. And it overflows from His perfect and holy character. And it's given to us in and through His Son, our Savior. See, something we have to understand here as we're reading this psalm is that you cannot commune with God on your own. You can't come before God on your own because you're like, well, man, I can read God's word and I can come in a relationship with him because I'm a good person, because I've done more good things than bad things, because, because I'm smart, because I can figure it all out. No, you can't come before God on your own. You have no footing. You have no right to come before a holy, righteous, powerful God. You can't come to hear from him or talk with him. Why? Because all of us have rebelled against him. All of us have gone our own way. We've said, God, I don't need you in my life. I'm fine on my own. I want to be the own, my own Lord and my own King. And God in his holiness and justice would be right to relegate all of us because of our rebellion to an eternity separated from him. To eternal judgment. But what we see in the pages of this book from beginning to end is God is full of grace and loving kindness. That he doesn't just leave us in that place as the result of our rebellion. No, he made a way of rescue for us. That he sent his only son that we've sung about this morning, we've read about this morning, that we've talked about every week as we gather together as a church. His perfect son, Jesus Christ, who took on our humanity and lived in this world, walking in obedience to, to God, living a life of faithfulness, and then he went willingly to a cross to die a painful death of crucifixion, not because he did anything wrong, not because he walked in disobedience, not because he sinned, but he did so for you. He went as a substitute for you on the cross, his arms outstretched, his hands nailed to that wood, his feet nailed to the wood, and the wrath of God poured out on him for your rebellion and your sin so that through Christ you can have communion with God. Jesus is the man in Psalm 1 who delights and the law of the Lord and on his law meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Jesus is the example for us that we see in this and the means for us to actually be this. Because of who Christ is, because of what he's done, that means that the cross and the empty tomb are the entry point to an ongoing eternal relationship with the living God. So listen to me, if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never actually believed that you need to be rescued, come to Christ today. Turn and place your faith in Jesus today so that you might have communion with God. Turn away from communing with the world and turn to the risen Savior. And if you've already placed your faith in Jesus, if you've been following him for a long time, then know, know that you can come to God expectantly, Know that you can come to God fully because he loves you. And he's displayed that to you in and through Christ. His love for you is unfailing and it's unchanging. Romans 8.1, in the pages of this book, say, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are no longer condemned, but you've been set free. You can come before the Father. Here's what that means, though. 
that your communing with God is rest for your soul, even in the midst of your wrestling with God. It's rest for your soul, even in the midst of your wrestling with God. Because Christ has made a way for you. So as you open up the pages of Scripture and you're struggling to believe, as you open up the pages of Scripture and come to the Lord in prayer and you're saying, God, why did you do this in my life? Why did you allow this to happen in my life? Why did you take this away from me? Why did you not give me this thing? You can come fully and expectantly knowing that the Father loves you and he cares for you and he will not cast you off when you come because Christ has made a way for you and he calls you son and he calls you daughter. Your communion with God is always the place of rest for your soul. John Owen in his excellent book, Communion with God, says this, how few Christians are actually acquainted with the great privilege of having a loving fellowship with the Father. I love that, like that challenge for us. Like, do we actually know that God loves us? Do we actually know that we have a relationship with him, that we can commune with him and have this loving fellowship with him? It's by grace that that communion began, and it's by grace that it continues. Listen, Jesus gives himself fully and completely, and he calls you to follow him faithfully for the good of your soul. And it's in his word, as we open up the pages of the scripture, that we see Christ exalted, that we see him lifted up, that we can be called back once again from our wanderings. We can be fueled once again in our following. It's Jesus that we seek in the pages of scripture. From beginning to end, this is God's word to us, telling us about his plan of redemption to bring us into relationship with him through Christ. So here's what that means for you. If you are going to be a faithful disciple, if you are going to faithfully follow Jesus in every aspect of your life and your lifestyle, you're gonna look more and more like Christ, you must strive to commune with God. You must strive to commune with him. So if that's true for us, why is it that we so often tend to struggle to do this then? Why is it that we so often tend to to struggle with delighting in and meditating on God's word, to commune with him. That could be so many things. We could probably all think of reasons for ourselves why that's the case. We're all unique individuals. For some of us, it's because we're just easily distracted people. We have tiny computers that sit next to us all the time. Sometimes your Bible reading is on this tiny computer in your hand and you have all these notifications and things going off. I'm not saying you can't read your Bible on your phone, but I'd recommend putting your phone away, just opening up a piece of paper and reading that. When we're easily distracted, there's competing voices going on constantly around us, calling our attention away, things that are going on in our lives and the world. Some of us are interrupted or have our communion with God not be really existent in our life because we're undisciplined. There's no plan in how to do this. There's no prioritizing it in our own life. I think sometimes the reason we struggle with communion with God is because we have a fear of being exposed. That we actually know that when we open up God's word that it's going to interpret our lives and we don't want to hear it. We want to keep walking the way that we're walking and doing the things that we're doing. Sometimes we lack the desire. And I think we lack the desire because we've forgotten what it is. God speaking to us. Getting more of God. Delighting in Him. And so when we forget that, we lack that desire. It's no, no wonder that Instagram seems more appealing to us or sports updates feel more exciting to us. As we walk down that road, 
and unbelief develops more and more, we continue to wander away from communing with God. And I, and I say all of those things because I've been in that place for all of those places and all of those things. I've struggled with communing with God for all of those reasons and at different times, all of those things going on at the same time for me. And when we're struggling with this inner circle, this core of taking ownership over our own discipleship by communing with God on our own, what tends to also happen is we put too much expectation on the other rings, on community. We look to others to live our life with Jesus for us. Ask yourself this morning, do you find yourself becoming easily disappointed with other people that you're in community with? Do you find yourself being disappointed in your pastor's? If that's the case for you, if you find yourself disappointed and lacking grace and lacking patience with those around you that you're in community with because they're not doing enough to encourage you and help you, maybe step back and just say, how's my communion with God going? Am I actually pursuing Christ on my own? You have to remember, it's your relationship with Jesus. He saved you. He called you by name to be in relationship with him. And community is a gift to you. We've been talking about that. It's key to you continuing to follow Jesus. It'll fuel your communion with God. But you have to have your own relationship with Christ. That's why we have those arrows on that diagram. Because your communion with God fuels your participation with those relationships with one to three people and community group and gathering with the church. You have something to give when you show up to those places when you are spending time in the word and with God on your own. And it works the other way as well. As you gather with the church, as you spend time in community, as you get into relationships with one to three people, that also drives you back to communion with God. We can't remove that out of the middle though. We have to be rooted in who God is and the life he's called us to. So what does this look like practically in our lives? What does this look like practically in our community to commune with God? And I was thinking about this week, like what are some practical tools that I could encourage you with? And I thought of of several books that have been really good and really helpful to think about praying and think about studying God's word. But then I thought, wait a minute, if we're already struggling to read the Bible, I don't want you to go read a book. Like I just want you to open this one up. There's lots of wisdom out there that others have said, but man, I just want you to come before this and just say, God, I need to hear from you. God, I want to hear from you. So here are a few ways that I want you to think about that as you open up God's word, as you seek to be that man, as you seek to be that woman who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. The first one is this, believe it is good, it is for your good. Actually start there. Because I would guess that some of you, that's where you're struggling right now, is you're not actually sure that it is for your good. The first thing we have to do is believe that it is for your good. So would you confess that to the Lord? Maybe that's your first prayer. Is God, help me to actually believe this is for my good. Confess that to your community around you, that you aren't believing that right now. And ask God to help you to believe that it's for your good. The second thing, have a plan and a place. Have a plan and a place. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing to Timothy encouraging him in his ministry, encouraging him in his life. And he says this, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Don't, don't commune with the world, Timothy. Don't get caught up in the way the world's going. What does he say? Rather, train yourself for godliness. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's saying, look, sure, you can exercise and you can eat well, and that's all good and fine. It honors Christ to do those things, but that's not as valuable to you as actually training yourself for godliness, disciplining yourself to commune with him instead of the world. You know, a lot of times I think we we struggle to commune with God because we don't carve out time and we don't know what we're going to do if we actually pursue that time. And it takes effort, it takes discipline to move from a place of duty to delight. So come up with a time and a place to pursue God through his word. Like when are you going to do that? Is it in the morning? Is it on your lunch break? Is it in the evening? Is it all of those times? When are you actually going to do that and where are you going to go? I know for me in my house right now, the place that I enjoy doing that is in our living room, sitting on the couch, opening up the windows, and just sitting there. My Bible sits on our coffee table there, and I come, and I know that's where I'm going to sit, on the left side of the couch, next to the armrest. Like, that's where I go. Where's that place for you? What's that time for you that you're going to do that? And then have a plan for what you're going to do when you actually get there. I think it's another place that we can struggle. We say, okay, I've got my time, I've got my place, and we have this Bible, and this is kind of a big book. So what am I going to do when I actually open up the pages of Scripture? I would encourage you to think about a book of the Bible that you're going to read through, or there's many Bible reading plans that help you to walk through the Scriptures in a systematic way. For me right now, I'm spending time slowly studying through 2 Corinthians, and I read the Psalms every day. I encourage you to do that. This is place for you to see that God is okay with emotions, that you can be honest and real with him. And I'm reading through the minor prophets because it's been a long time since I read Zechariah, which is a really strange book. But Jesus is in it. I'm seeing that this week. Man, what are you going to do when you come to the Word? What are you going to do when you come to Scripture? And you can always ask two questions when you open up to any place in Scripture. What does this text tell me about God? What does it teach me about God? And what does it teach me about myself in relation to who God is? It doesn't matter where you're at within these pages. You can always ask yourself those questions. Now, when you come to that time and that place and you know what you're going to read, I'd encourage you to pray a short prayer of focus, a short prayer of illumination. God, help me to see what your word says and then study and then read it and respond to what God's word says in prayer. Allow that to guide how you pray, to come to God's word first. Okay, the third thing. When you come to God's word, come expectantly. Do you approach communion with God, time in his word and time in prayer, expectantly? Do you actually believe that he wants to say something to you, that he wants to speak to you, that he wants to reveal himself to you? Do you come with that posture? Listen, I know that when I don't do that, my time in God's word is dull and distracted. But when I do, when I come expectantly, it isn't always life-changing for me. But it always refreshes my soul. It always refreshes my soul because I know this is God's word to me. God, what do you want to say to me? I read this morning in Psalm 119, the Lord is my portion. I read the rest of the verses and now I need to go back to that. The Lord is my portion. Do I believe that, God, that you are enough for me? When I come expectantly looking for God to speak to me, my soul is refreshed. So come expectantly. Fourth, talk about it in community. Listen, your own communion with God can be a great tool to help disciple other people. Whether that's your, your friends that you're in community with or your family, your spouse, your roommates, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
one of the most consistent examples to me in my life is my wife. Man, she loves the Word. And she's been striving to get up early before the kids get up and to spend time on that couch with her Bible in her hands. She sets an example to me about communing with our God. And you can be that person to other people. Not in a braggadocious kind of way, not like look at me and all the cool things that I do with God's word. No, you can just share what God's showing to you. You can say, friend, you need this too. This is nourishment for my soul. May it be nourishment for your soul too. Now, if you're on the other end of that, when it comes to community, then talk about it in community. Confess that to your brothers and sisters. Say, I need help. I'm not sure what to do. Would you come alongside of me? Would you hold me accountable to do this? That's where community group and those relationships with one to three come in. Lean on those people to help you commune with God, to point you to communing with God. Not to do it for you, but to hold you accountable to it, to help you to know what to do. I know there's some brothers in our church right now that are using version on their phones. There's Bible reading plans, short ones, and a few of them have gotten on that, and it's great because they can comment and share notes and things they're learning, and it's a tool of accountability. Like, oh man, I haven't read today. That means everybody in that group is going to see that I haven't done this yet. That's not to make you feel guilty, but because you want those brothers and sisters to say, hey bro, what's going on? You haven't read God's Word. How's that going for you? Sister, how's that going for you as you're reading God's Word? I know you needed help with that. Involve your community in it. And fifth and finally, just keep striving. Keep striving. I need you to hear me on this. This is not about a Bible reading scorecard. It isn't for you to go along and say, like, look, I got all A's in my Bible reading or good effort in my Bible reading. That's not what I'm calling you to do, and that is certainly not what God is doing. He doesn't keep a scorecard of your Bible reading. He doesn't love you more because you read your Bible more. No, he loves you fully and completely because of what Christ has done for you. But I, I want you to do this. God wants you to do this because you get more of him. Because you're spending time with him and relationship with him. So keep striving, even when things are challenging for you. That's been my own experience. I've sought to follow Christ. There's been times where I'm struggling with sin and struggling with disobedience. And this is not the place that I want to go. Because I know I'm going to be convicted and challenged to come back to Christ in that. I've struggled with life stage, whether there's kids that are waking up in the middle of the night and I feel tired and I feel overwhelmed and I feel taxed with all these things going on. There's struggle along the way, but I have to keep striving. So I want that for you too. Don't give up. How each person goes about doing this is going to look different, but listen to me, something is better than nothing. I mean, think about this. If you're thinking about, you're like, man, I need to get back in shape, so I want to run a marathon. Great. That's crazy, but that's, that's good. 26.2 miles, let's go. And so the first day you get out and train, you're like, I got to do 20 today. I mean, that would be foolish. You probably wouldn't make it that far if you haven't run in a while. For some of you to start running that marathon, the first thing you need to do is take a walk around your block. You got you to take a step and move in that direction. And the same thing is true with communion with God. I don't want you to sit here today and go like, oh my goodness, I feel so overwhelmed in this moment because I'm not doing this consistently. And all you're thinking about is like, I've got to spend an hour doing this. I've got to dive in. I've got to have my commentaries and my journal and quiet place and all those things. And it just shuts you down. All you think about is marathon, marathon, marathon. I remember in college, the guy that was pointing me towards Christ was helping disciple me. He challenged me in college. He said, I just want you to read your Bible and pray for about 30 minutes every other day. And I was like, what? That's insane. That's so much time. How am I going to do that? He was just giving me something small to start with. 
That's the same thing true for you right now. Wherever you're at in your communion with God, what is that next move for you? What's what's your walk around the block right now? Maybe for some of you, because you're struggling so significantly, it's just listening to God's word being read over you through an app. Maybe it's finding one verse to focus on during the day or during the week and actually spending time thinking about it and praying through it. What is that thing for you to take that step, to strive in that way? And none of those things are meant to be the end goal or the stopping point. Just like the marathon, you don't start taking a walk around your block and never move on to running around your block or running a few miles. You have a goal in mind of wanting to delight in the law of the Lord, to meditate on it day and night, to get more of God, to delight in Him. So allow whatever that step is just to be the stepping stone, a a starting place for you to get to that place to pursue that over and over and over again, to go deeper with the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Listen to me. You will not survive. You will not survive life in this harsh world that you find yourself in if you are not regularly communing with the God, just like you won't live if you don't eat or drink food and water. I don't think that's an overstatement. That's real life. Like that tree, when you are planted by life-giving water that brings you into the presence of God, you will thrive and you will grow. God's word tells you that that will happen, even when conditions are harsh or inhospitable. And I want you to be that tree. I want everybody in this room to be that tree. Maybe you need to go find a tree. Like outside of your apartment complex or outside your house or on your way to work when you're walking up to the building or the school or whatever and say, man, I want to be that tree. I want to be rooted just like that tree. Maybe you need to print a picture of a tree and put it on your wall or put it on the home screen of your phone and say, God, I want to be that tree. Help me to be rooted in you like this. Help me to delight in you like this. Help me to be nourished and flourish and thrive like this tree, in season and out of season. I want to be that tree. Brothers and sisters, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We're wrapping up our discipling series today. And even though this is the end of the series, it's just the beginning of a conversation for us to continue to pursue this together, that we want to be disciples who make disciples. So we want to keep talking about it and keep pursuing it with one another. And we really do believe that if you use this simple structure, these means of grace that God's given to you to gather together with the church, to be consistently in community through community group and having one to three people in your life that you are pursuing, that you know and you love, that know and love you, And if you're pursuing your own relationship, your own communion with God, you will thrive and you will grow in your discipleship and your discipling. So may we, as God's people, strive to follow Jesus and help others follow him too for their good and for God's glory. You know, one of the ways that we can come and commune with God is just coming forward and taking communion. As we eat this meal together, every week as a church is something you do as an individual and community. We have the bread that's broken as a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. And the cup that we drink is a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. Every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done and the fact that he isn't done yet. And he will come again to rule and to reign. So may you be refreshed this morning. 
that you're able to have communion with God because Christ took on all of your sin and all of your shame. Come forward this morning to eat and drink and let's celebrate grace together. And for those of you that are not yet followers of Christ, we would just ask you to hang in your seats. And instead of coming forward to take, partake of this meal, we want you to take Christ today. To again, to turn away from communing with the world, to commune with God. Confess your need for Jesus today. And let somebody around you know that. We want to help you know and see what it looks like to follow Christ. For those of you that will come forward, come to the front or the tables in the back whenever you're ready. And what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you, a holy God, a magnificent God, a perfect God, that you have sent Christ to, to reconcile us to you, to rescue us, to redeem us. And so God, we praise you for that. We thank you that it's through your word that you've revealed yourself to us. So God, I pray that you'd help us to strive together to commune with you for our good and for our joy. May we be that tree in Psalm 1. God, help us. We need your help. Help us to help each other do this. We need each other. God, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to who you've called us to be, to rest in the good news of Christ, even in the midst of our wrestling with you. You are good and you are faithful. Thank you that you've shown us that over and over and over again. We rejoice today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.